Hey, good morning. Um, I'd like to thank the brothers for participating so far in leading our minds and our hearts to uh, worship our God in spirit and in truth. Uh, and for those that are visiting, I'm not Brother Sean. I'm Brother Nelson. So uh, Brother Sean will indeed be getting up. Uh, thank you, uh, Brother Brian, for those, me those uh, words that you gave us uh, about receiving. Uh, this is a, a special day, isn't it? I mean, it really is a special day. Uh, this is the Lord's Day. This is a day that we should rejoice and be glad in it. Um, I had an opportunity to travel to back to Tennessee this past week, and uh, thank God I was able to make it back because of the weather and the travel and the cancellations that are going on. But uh, I had a chance to go to Tennessee, where I'm from, and um, I had a chance to attend the Carnage. And this is just an aside real quick, but I wanted to mention this. Uh, I had a chance to attend the the Carnes Church of Christ, and uh, Brother Steve Higginbottom, who was the minister there, was uh, preaching, and he delivered a sermon that dealt with Hanukkah, which was until, uh, something we, we celebrated last week. But his comment that struck, struck me about CEO Christians, and I thought, CEO Christians, uh, okay, I'm seeing puzzled, puzzled looks out there as well. Christian, uh, uh, Christians that are Christmas, Easter only, it's when they show up. So uh, CEO Christians, we don't, we're not CEO Christians here. We, we come and we worship the Lord every Lord's Day. And you think about all of the many congregations that are open up all around the world that are worshiping on the Lord's Day, this special day, this day. And it's special because, yes, we honor Christ today, his death, his burial, his resurrection every Lord's Day. And that's what we do here at Monta Vista. So thank you for that. And Steve Higginbotham and I share a similar um, medical issue, and I'll share that later on as well, but uh, Steve is a, a great minister of the Lord, so thank you. So good morning, Monta Vista. I am Nelson Stevens, and I am my wife, Vita, and I. We became members of the congregation back in June, and let me say that we're grateful that God has led us to a Bible-believing, a Bible-centric, a Bible-loving congregation. We are grateful that and very impressed by the warmth and the friendliness of the congregation, and we look forward to many years of service to our Lord along with the servants of God here in this place. I particularly want to thank the elders for allowing me this opportunity to break the bread of life. And I pray the message I share will be both beneficial and encouraging as we sojourn together in this pilgrim land. And certainly we all know that if we are faithful and committed, that God has a place prepared for us that we can spend eternity with him and be able to give him the praise and glory for his magnificent love, his grace, and his mercy that he has shown to us, the poor and wretched souls that we are. So while I'm on the elders, for just a moment, I would like to continue to solicit prayers for them, but for our shepherds, and not only for them, but for their wives as well. For we know the tremendous load they all carry in the work they do for this congregation, and that extends to the deacons and the preacher's wives as well. So you don't, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but <clears throat> I actually shaved off my facial hair trying to remove some of the gray to reduce the aging look, right? And uh, to, so I can appear more youthful and vibrant and like some of our other speakers like Brother Sean and Brother Brian and even Brother Zach, Brother Jared, uh, Brother Andy, as they get given the opportunity to speak as well. I wanted to be counted among the youthful speakers that we have here and not look so old, right? But according to my wife, shaving off some hair off my face didn't work because uh, I still look like Methuselah or some septuagenarian of the Bible. But at least I tried, okay? 
So today, our lesson will be about preparation and the many facets of life in which the Word of God instruct us to get prepared, be prepared, and stay prepared. And although not a Boy Scout, I've always been struck by the motto, be prepared. So the title of my lesson today will be Preparing Ourselves in the Service of the Kingdom or Recovering Our Spiritual Edge. Now, I'm going to state the obvious here, but suffice it to say that we are all the sum of all of our experiences. And we all have had different experiences because we have had different experiences in life. And I'm grateful to God for the various experiences in life we've all had to add to the variety of contributions we make to this congregation. You know, I was certainly encouraged by Brother Tom's message in October and Brother Greg's lesson in November, as well as other brothers who've had a chance to preach. And I'm sure each of the brothers can attest to this. Given an opportunity to stand before the church, to speak about what thus says the Lord really helps you grow in the grace and devotion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and bringing the message also helps us to grow in the knowledge of God's holy and divine word. And, and I dare say that even the ladies who lead classes and participate in public Bible class also know the blessing it is to be able to study God's word and prepare to teach children's lessons and ladies' Bible classes. It truly helps one to grow as a Christian. And I can also relate to what the non-preachers or untrained brothers felt when they were standing here to preach. But I just wanted to point out something that I had recently learned to help the brothers who may get opportunity to speak at some other point. I recently learned that nervousness is actually good for us because what nervousness is, is it's the body fueling itself with energy. So keep this in mind the next time you're asked to get up and get a chance to stand in public and preach if you get nervous. Actually, your body is fueling itself with energy. Preparation. Preparation involves knowing what we may need to change or improve in order to be able to adequately accomplish the task at hand. As a result, we may need to make some changes, adjust our thinking, or even take action to put, uh, to put us in the best position to succeed. To this end, I'd like to use one of my favorite Old Testament events involving the prophet Elisha. It's captured in 2 Kings 6 verses 1 through 7. Now I'll turn to that shortly, but let me say right here that when I was first asked to give a lesson for the congregation, I immediately said yes. But I also immediately began to prepare my thoughts and ideas for this lesson that I'd like to give today. As I mentioned, this lesson will be on preparation and getting ourselves prepared for service. And there are so many aspects of life in which we have to prepare ourselves for and and if I were just to throw out multiple examples, there wouldn't be significant time to be able to deal with it within the 30 minutes that we have for this lesson. I could never capture them all, and I'm definitely certain that I would leave some out that many of you would have that I would miss. But just to start with a small sampling of items uh, we have to prepare ourselves for, let's just list a few of the obvious and relatively important items we need to prepare for. What about marriage? We certainly need to prepare ourselves for spending a lifetime with someone which we cherish, honor, respect, and love, with whom we can share many lifelong memories. What about college or further education? We need to carefully consider where we might want to attend college or what technical school or even apprenticeships or even military training we might want to partake of. 
What about a gainful profession? We need to prepare ourselves for professions we decide in life to help us earn a living and allow us to aid our families or provide a genuine service to our community. Now, some of the most honored professions in my book, and I'm sure you'll have different ones as well, but I place teaching as one of the most important professions anyone could be involved in, whether it be private, public, homeschool, secondary, post-school, uh, higher education, but the men and women entering the realm of teaching have my utmost respect. What about law enforcement professionals, health professionals, public servant professionals, aviation technologists, mechanics, business, retail, finance, athletics, and obviously I could go on and on, but needless to say, preparing yourself for the right profession will be a key decision point in your life. And let me also say right here that the men who have entered into the profession of preaching and teaching the gospel as a profession, I have to say that I'm a bit envious because these men get to spend countless hours delving into the mind of God. Other examples of what we'll need to uh, uh, prepare ourselves for, and, and parenthetically, let me say this, that we know that tomorrow is not promised to anyone, James 4, 14. But God does want us to live our lives with an eye toward service and kingdom growth, both in our natural lives and spiritual lives. Some other examples of preparation, working in the Lord's church. Men who lead service have to prepare themselves. Men who will become deacons or elders or preachers have to prepare themselves. We have to prepare ourselves to raise a family, prepare ourselves to purchase a home. We have to prepare ourselves for deterioration in health with COVID and viruses and cancers. And, and by the way, I am one of those with cancer and, and I solicit your prayers for my procedure on 3 January to eradicate this prostate cancer I have. There are other debilitating diseases that we have to prepare ourselves for as well, or also for surgeries, like Brother Drew had to prepare himself for. What about preparing for emergencies that may occur in our communities, from natural disasters to even man-made catastrophes, from violence and mayhem caused by evil people? Thankfully, our elders have made preparations for even ungodly events like this. What about this, preparing ourselves for running a race? Now, I know Paul reminds us of that in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25, as well as 1 Timothy 4 and 7. And our young brother Micah uh, gave us a fine sermon on finish, finishing the race back in July of this year. Now, I have to tell you that I am a marathon runner and I've completed about 15 marathons in 15 different states. And I had intended to run uh, all marathons in all 50 states, but that was cut short when we left and went overseas for five years. Nevertheless, one thing I couldn't do is just to show up at a marathon without any preparation. I have to train and prepare myself to be able to run 26.2 miles, because I, if I didn't train and prepare, you would find me somewhere on the side of the road suffering from exhaustion, leg cramps, and sicknesses from a whole host of problems. By the way, I have run the Rock and Roll Marathon here in Phoenix, and I understand the traffic jams created from this event, and unfortunately, I might have been a culprit in 2008 and 2009. <laughs> but the elders will have us meet at 2 p.m. when this event happens in January to avoid this log jam. We also need to prepare ourselves for the return of the Lord Jesus to claim his own from this earthly realm. And perhaps we're not prepared somehow because we have lost our spiritual focus or our spiritual edge. And this will be the heart of my lesson this morning with a, a view to help us get sharper. How do we sharpen our focus 
for Christ's return. What do we need to do? Because if you really think about it, even if you accomplish all the things previously mentioned, and even if you are an overachiever and you're more than succeed in your profession, your marriage, your home, your wealth, what if you become the most powerful and richest person on planet Earth? If we're not prepared for the return of Christ and we've lost our spiritual focus, then all of the accomplishments would be for naught. You know, our brother Sean, he gave an excellent message on our focus should be on Christ's return. So I won't preach the same lesson, but I would like to point our mind back to some things he said and then mention some things on what we can do to give us guidance and help us to help each other to be prepared for Christ's return. I truly believe we are all here to help each other make it to heaven. And if you see me or my loved one slipping or sliding, I would hope we would have enough love for each other to help pull a sinking brother out of the mire of sin and destruction. And I really believe that's the view of this congregation. And we're certainly grateful, like I said, to be a part of Monte Vista. I'd like to give a quick illustration of something I recently saw on Turner Classic Movie Channel. And I have to say I'm a bit nostalgic and I do wander and my mind wanders uh, about times have gone by, that have gone by and how things were in the earlier days of the past century. You know, I know there were many struggles we as a nation had to endure. And in fact, my parents were huge players in the civil rights eras of the 60s. But even beyond that, the times seemed to be simpler and perhaps characterized differently by movies. But this one particular movie had a scene in line that had me reflecting on it for some time. The movie was Enchanted Cottage, produced in 1945. Now, I'll give just a short description of the movie, and perhaps one day you'll want to rent it or try to see it, but there was one line that really struck me at this man as he reflected on his life. There was a soldier played by Robert Young who had recently returned from the war, and his face was badly scarred from shrapnel he had taken in an explosion. His right arm was mauled, his body badly uh, damaged. One day when he was in the courtyard, depressed and in despair, he was ruminating and reflecting on his life with this young housemate. Obviously saddened by his now grotesque appearance, he, he brought up a man he knew long before the war who had built ships in a bottle. He had asked the man many times why he built those ships, but he never gave him a satisfactory answer. The soldier thought it was pointless and useless to to spend so many countless hours meticulously putting together these ships in a bottle. For he equated man's existence with this mundane matters of life. And this is what he said. I'm gonna, not an actor, so a thespian, so this is, I'll do my best to kind of reenact what he, he did. He said, I once knew a man who made ships in a glass bottle. I'd always ask him to tell me why, but I never got a satisfactory answer. The maker told me that he used to make them because it had a resemblance to life. If you looked at it largely, all of us in one way are full masts and schooners, or brigantines, or whaling ships, or even canoes, ready to sail into life. However, there we were, only locked away removed and separate from one another, merely contained in individual glass bottles, waiting for life to pass us by. But we all know that life is so much more than that. 
God's plan for each of our lives is so much more than merely being contained in a glass bottle. He wants us to thrive and to grow and to honor him in our life here on earth. And I'll mention another one or two items of the list that I have. And one of the other things before we get to our scriptural text, we, we really need to be prepared for the wiles of the devil. Um, have you ever noticed how the devil will promise you one thing but always deliver you something opposite? Take the promise he gave to Eve that her eyes would be open, inferring that she was somehow blind to really great spiritual things. The devil, the devil, the devil promised he could open her eyes. He promised she would become spiritually wise, knowing the secrets of heaven and even the loftiest thoughts of God himself. That was the promise, but it was a lie. The exact opposite happened. When Eve believed the devil, we know that she believed him, but we know that in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 and 5, it says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. People who do not know Christ cannot see his light. The adversary has blinded him. Obviously, there are many other things we could list. And, um, you know, the thing that comes to mind is, you know, Brother Brian preached on being prepared to care for our elderly ones, or perhaps even a winter blizzard we have to prepare for, or a summer dust storm. And certainly the most important of all is to prepare for death, from preparing our wills, advanced directives, trusts, and so forth. We need to prepare for death. However, the most important preparation we can make is for our eternal destiny. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment, Hebrews 9, 27. Let's make sure that we are prepared for death by obeying the heavenly call of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as we live on this earth, we must prepare ourselves for service in the kingdom. And how do we do that? I contend we do it by sharpening our spiritual edge. Now let us turn our attention to the scriptural text for this morning, 2 Kings 6, verses 1 through 7. And it reads, And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go. Then one said, Please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it in there, and he made the iron float. Therefore, he said, Pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. Now, this account took place in the 8th century B.C. During the, kings, during the time of the kings when Israel was split into two kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And the prophet Elijah was taken into heaven in a fiery chariot. The prophet Elisha began his ministry. Elisha had trained under Elijah for 50 years to prepare him for his ministry. Elisha was now training other young prophets of God this is what is meant by the sons of the prophets in verse 1. Think of this as the first Bible college, an ancient Florida college, if you will. 
Well, from what we were told in verse 1, this school of the prophets had become so large that it had outgrown their current, current dormitory and needed to rebuild some larger accommodations for their growing enrollment. The, the eager students approached Elisha, their teacher, with this request. Verse 2, it says, Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. Elisha simply said, Go. In other words, he was sending them off on this building task with his blessings. But being well up in years by this point, Elisha was not planning on accompanying them. That is, until one of the students approached him and requested that he go with them. Now, these students weren't expecting the elderly Elisha to help them with the strenuous work of, of putting the building together. No, of course not. They wanted him there for inspiration. Having their teacher to watch them would be a great source of strength and encouragement for the task. Well, when they arrived at the Jordan River, they immediately began to work on cutting down trees, each student doing his part. But pretty soon a problem arises while cutting down a tree. One of the young men has his axe head come flying off the handle into the Jordan River and it sinks to the bottom. This young man lost his axe head. He lost his cutting edge. He lost his effectiveness in doing the work he had set out to do. Have you or I lost our cutting edge? Have you or I lost our spiritual sharpness? Have you or I lost our effectiveness, our enthusiasm for doing the work the Lord has called us to do? Is it possible for one to get his or her spiritual edge back once we've lost it? Absolutely. And as we look in our scriptural text, we'll see that there are three things we must do to get our spiritual edge back. Now, I have to say right here that it is my intention to simply introduce the three main points that I would like to preach on and further develop the next time I get to preach. Because Lord willing, I will have an opportunity next December to cover my points in detail, as I realize doing that now would take us well beyond it a lot of time. So to whet your appetite, I will share with you exactly what my message will entail the next time. In order to recover our spiritual edge, first of all, we must accept responsibility for losing our spiritual edge. Verse five says, but one was cutting down a tree, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried out, Alas, master, for it was barred. So this young man accepted the fact that he had lost his cutting uh, axe. He had lost his material to cut the tree. Second, we must acknowledge where we lost our spiritual edge. Verse 6 says, So the man of God said, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and, and threw it in there and he made the iron float. So we must acknowledge where, and I would say when, we lost our spiritual edge. We must look just as this man did where he lost his spiritual edge or his cutting edge. And thirdly, we must take action to recover our spiritual edge. Therefore, he said, pick it up. So he reached out his hand and took it. He took action to recover his spiritual edge. We need to do the same thing. So I'll give you an illustration here, and I'll be closing just shortly. And I think this illustration points to the message of the, uh, the scripture. So two men competed against each other in a woodcutting contest. One man worked feverishly without stopping once for a break. 
while the other would work for a while, then take a break, work some more, and then take another break. When the contest was over, the man who had worked so hard and took no breaks was amazed that his pile of wood wasn't nearly as large as the other man's. He turned to his competitor and asked, how in the world did you cut more wood than me with all those breaks you took? The man said, I wasn't wasting time while I rested. I also took time to sharpen my axe. Brothers and sisters, when we are doing the Lord's work, it is important that we take time to sharpen our axe. Sometimes we get so busy chopping away at life, we, we don't think we have time to stop and pray and study the word and meditate upon the greatness of God. When in reality, it is those things that help keep our spiritual edge. So we will develop these points in greater detail next time. But finally, I would like to leave you with this thought that was derived from Joni Erickson Tata, who is a 75-year-old paraplegic since the age of 16 from a swimming pool accident that occurred when she struck the bottom of the pool with her head, which left her paralyzed for life. She has shared some godly thoughts since this accident, and here's one of the things she recently shared. She said, have you ever thought about what impresses God? He is, a, he is the awesome creator of our vast, unimaginably wondrous universe. And he has named billions of stars in our galaxy as though he were naming puppies or kittens. That's just our galaxy. Is not God impressed with these accomplishments? In a sense, he is. It, it says in Genesis that after he created the sun and the moon and the stars, he paused and said that it was good. Yet the celestial bodies are not what strike God. What about other aspects of his creation? Do lions or tigers make a big impression? The grace and the power of a horse. How about human beings, the epitome of all his creative works? After all, he put a lot of thought into developing bones and muscles, the mind, and our nervous system. But not even these things truly impress God. So what strikes him? Psalm 147 tells us. It's not kittens puppies, horses, or even people. Rather, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who place their hope in his failing, in unfailing love. He is moved when he sees us stand back in awesome respect and worship him. Psalm 147 reads, His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Brothers and sisters, if you want to please God, then you are to fear him, honor him, and obey him. If you desire to be baptized for the remission of your sins, if you desire for the prayers of the church so that you can lead the type of life that pleases him, please come now while we stand and sing the song of encouragement. <laughs>